0: to another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. And I'm Todd. And this week's selection, uh, Todd and I actually realized late in the week that we had not picked anything to do this week. Uh, And so, as kind of a last minute choice, I chose 1985's House, uh, directed by Steve Miner um, and starring Roger Cobb. This is from 1985, and uh, this is another one of those movies that I have a lot of strong memories of from my childhood. Uh, I don't remember exactly when or how I saw it, but um, I do remember that I was pretty young. It came out in 85, so I would have been 6, and I don't know if that's when I saw it. I probably saw it when it repeated uh, on television, on HBO or something, but uh, it was one that I thought would be kind of fun to take a look back at. Todd, had you seen this before?
1: You know, I hadn't actually seen this before. I had seen House 2, the sequel, which was pretty funny. And I had imagined that the first one was more of a straight horror story. And in many ways, it it is. I had, of course, seen the poster everywhere. (laughs) It seemed like every video store, I think, in America was required to have a a house poster hanging up in their horror section. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) And of course, you know that video cover taunted me a lot, but I never actually sat down and watched it until now. Uh, so uh, I can see why you probably have some very fond memories of this as a kid, because it really does follow um, the format of some of the more interesting horror films from that era.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm not going. I'll start out by saying I'm not going to say that this is a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. And looking at it in 2017, it's definitely dated uh, and and maybe hasn't really aged all that well. But I do think that it's just kind of a, a fun haunted house story and, and it's a, a fun movie. Basically the premise is uh, we start out seeing this spooky old house with this spooky score uh, while the opening credits uh, roll up. And then the first scene is um, this young kid, this uh, grocery delivery boy, comes to this house and knocks on the door and he's looking for um, Mrs. Hooper who lives there. Uh, He's delivering her groceries. The door just kind of mysteriously opens when he knocks on it and he goes in and he hears some things upstairs, but uh, she's not responding. So he kind of goes poking around and eventually he finds her dead and hanging in her bedroom. Then we cut to who is going to be our uh, main character. Uh, His name is Roger Cobb. He's a horror writer. He's played by William Catt, um, who I remember as the star of Greatest American Hero. I loved that uh, show when I was a kid. And he's a horror writer, and he's doing a book signing for his book Blood Dance. Uh, and there's a, a whole <laughs> host of interesting characters there to uh, get their books signed. Um, a couple of uh, familiar uh, character actors there. Um, I don't have any names written down, but definitely a few familiar your faces, And he's talking to his agent after the signing, um, and the agent is pushing him to get something new out. And what he's trying to write is a personal memoir um, of his experiences in Vietnam. Now, come on, Roger, you've already lost your life over this ha, thing. Ha. Are you going to throw your career down the toilet, too? <sighs> France, you have to get back to your life. Frank, come on. And listen, while we're on the subject of the book, Roger, nobody... But they want to read about the Vietnam War anymore They want to read a good horror story. Frank, would you listen to me for a second? All right? I know this book has been giving me a problem, but it's something I have to do i 've got to write this book and apparently he is kind of haunted by his experiences in the war and and this is interesting because I read today that this was one of several movies that came out in the mid 80s, dealing with characters who were coming to terms with their experiences in Vietnam. I guess around 1980 was when PTSD um, became recognized as a diagnosis. And so a lot of people in in film were kind of exploring the effects of that. Um, And it's kind of a interesting component to what's going on in this story because although it seems like this house this spooky old house is in fact haunted there are also moments where you're wondering if maybe Roger isn't hallucinating as a result of his PTSD what did you think Todd did you did that cross your mind or did you just think no it's straight up haunted right from the beginning oh absolutely it crossed my mind
1: because you know a lot of the movie is uh the movie is peppered with scenes of him sitting down to write his his book. I guess it's his memoir. And it right. seems like every time he sits down to do this, we get a flashback scene of his experience in the war. And it clearly troubles him immediately afterwards and so it's like it's like his thoughts that we're seeing uh and he'll stand up and that's usually when whatever is creepy is going to happen in the house happens he hears a noise and he starts exploring and then boom that happens so i immediately yeah i absolutely actually thought for quite a while that maybe everything that was happening in the house was nothing more than just a Not a not a real manifestation, but a a manifestation in his mind uh, of uh, the results of his PTSD and him trying to come to terms with it. Um, You know, in that way, I as the movie was going on, I thought, man, this could end up being a really smart film. You know, and um, I'm not saying it's Mm -hmm. a dumb film. It's certainly not dumb. It's kind of in the middle, but it doesn't really go that far. It's not a a Jacob's Ladder type scenario where this is all happening in his head or... Yeah,
0: right. And as it turns out, this house belonged to Roger's aunt. And he actually grew up there after his mother passed away. uh, He he was raised by his aunt. And his aunt had always said and believed that the house was haunted. Um, And she was an artist and and painted all of these really odd and kind of grotesque paintings that um, are decorating the house, all over the house. Uh, And we don't really see too much of the paintings. They're kind of in the background all the time. Uh, I actually wish that we got to see them a little bit more because they were really interesting. They're very kind of um, Dali-esque, surreal, but all all really dark. Um, And as it turns out, they're all kind of a reflection of things uh, that are going on in the house. Um, But in addition to being haunted by his experiences in Vietnam, um, Roger is also haunted because he has, sometime in the recent past, lost his son. He's married to... They're separated, but he's married to an actress. Um, Her name is Sandy, played by Kay Lentz. I read somewhere that uh, Glenn Close and Sigourney Weaver were actually considered for this role. I can't imagine either of them really taking a role in this movie. Uh, It seems a little bit uh, below their caliber. But they were married and they were living in uh, the aunt's house, apparently, with their young son. I'm guessing he's probably like seven or eight. Jimmy. And one day... Uh, while Roger was doing some work in the yard, he was like trimming some trees. Jimmy was, uh, sitting down on the ground playing with his cars, um, right there. And, uh, he's there one second and then Roger looks away for a second and he looks back and Jimmy's gone and he runs around the house looking for him and he can't find him. He calls Sandy out, Sandy comes out and they both start running around and Roger runs around to the backyard where there's a pool and he sees Jimmy uh splashing around in the pool like he's drowning. So he runs over to dive in to rescue his son, but as soon as he dives in, Jimmy's gone. And and he swims around and he's looking for him, but he can't find him and then he's just gone. You know, they they call the police and the police come and Roger tells the story as it happened. But of course they think that he must be crazy uh, because the kid's not in the pool. Um, And, and they don't find him. You know, we, I don't really know how long ago this was. I I get that it was, or I assume that it was in the fairly recent past. Um, But since that time, uh, Sandy and Roger have broken up. But now Roger is going back to live in the house again to do his writing. When he goes back to the house, uh, I think he's there with a realtor who was going to be selling the house, but he tells the realtor that he's going to actually uh, be living there for a while. Um, and they go out into the shed um, and in the shed is a painting that the realtor says that the aunt must've been working on before she passed away. And the painting is of his aunt's bedroom, which is where she was found, um, and this closet door in there, um, a bunch of clocks kind of uh, floating around the room. And I don't know if you noticed this. I kind of remembered that there was something going on here. But uh, in the top left-hand corner of the painting, there's like a a rag um, hanging over the painting, so we can't see what's there. And and that Mm -hmm. becomes... Uh, important later strange things pretty much start happening right away Um, one of the first nights that he's there he's he's kind of looking around at some of the decor there's all kinds of weird decor his uncle had been a championship fisherman and there's this big um swordfish on the wall and there's also just like a a big uh maybe a shark's jaw or something and he reaches up to touch the tooth um, of the shark and he cuts himself, and there's blood. And immediately after that, there's noise upstairs. Things are just kind of going bump in the night. Um, he calls out, and somebody else he, he hears a woman's voice call, hello. And so he, it leads him to his aunt's bedroom, where he sees a vision of her, um, seemingly alive. One, Roger.
1: It tricked me. I didn't think it could, but it did.
0: Going to trick you too, Roger. This house knows everything about you. Leave while you can. No! Now, one of the things that I thought was really funny about this movie, and and there is humor, I I don't think that I would necessarily classify this as a horror comedy because it doesn't really focus too much on the comedy, but there are certainly some funny parts. But one of the things that I thought was funny is that as soon as all of this supernatural stuff starts happening, he really, pretty much, kind of just takes it in stride. Uh, I think that uh, I think that I would have been a little bit more freaked out by some of these things uh, that were going on. Uh, did you feel that same way, or, or yeah. was I kind of overreacting? <laughs> oh
1: no, 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 no! I absolutely felt the same way. I thought, man, something really, really creepy will happen, and then he'll go back to some domestic scene. <laughs> like he's still in the yeah. house. He doesn't run out the door at all. I think one of the funniest parts uh, when that. And unintentionally funny I think funniest parts of that happens is uh comes later towards the end and I, I think we'll try to point it out but then again they do almost call a little bit of attention to it or maybe try to explain it away I like the part where he's snooping around it's after he's seen the ant's vision I think it might be after our first Vietnam flashback he has kind of a vision of his son which appears and he gets up and he walks around and he's drawn back to that room again and he goes into the ant's room and he's creeping towards the closet and the music is building and pumping and he's reaching for the door and it's just that classic scene and then he stops and he says I must be going crazy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he stops he turns around he walks right out of the room and goes downstairs and like washes his face (laughs) (laughs) it was a it was a funny moment I think in a movie where they, they build you up to this point like they do in all these horror films all these haunted house movies and then I must be going crazy. He turns around, he walks out without ever opening the, uh, the door. But then he goes back in, like, like moments later. He goes back up right. to the closet, and uh, he opens it. And sure enough, this monster reaches out and grabs him. And it was that whole episode, that whole scene, that unusual bit of business that made me wonder for the first time, okay, is he just seeing this stuff? You know, he's calling attention to himself, maybe going crazy. At least he's got some of that realization. He leaves, he comes back. And when he comes back, that this big monster comes out. And we don't even get a very good clear picture of it, but it looks like there are faces in there. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, this is a little bit like... Like Little Shop of Horrors, you know, the plant from Seymour with the faces that kind of appear at the end. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that maybe these are the, the visions of the past that are haunting him and people from the past and people from his war experience. I was, I, I was kind of freezing the frame trying to see real quick if I, could, if I could recognize anything in there. And I thought, okay, maybe he is going crazy. And especially the next scene then is uh, him setting up cameras to record this. And it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> He's got... Like every 1980s era recording uh, camera recording device you could possibly get, <laughs> and a, a big truck pulls up to the house and opens up, and in the back, you know, they're unloading it, and the first thing you see is Betamax. <laughs> 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 Betamax video recorder. <laughs> it's really great. He's up in that room and uh and he's set it up like a almost like at the trenches from a war scene. Uh he's got uh what these just camera after camera on a tripod. And a lot of it doesn't even make sense because it's not like these flash still cameras are on a timer or anything. I don't know. I don't know what how he's no. planning on doing
0: this. <laughs> I know, I thought the same thing. It's hilarious. It's like he's winding the cameras and things. <laughs> Is this just going to automatically go off when the monster pops out? I, I didn't really understand his plan there either. But it is a really funny scene um, because not only is he setting all this stuff up, but he's also all decked out in his uh, Vietnam combat uh, uniform. And, and it's, it's like he's setting up a tactical maneuver. Uh, <laughs> and, and he even practices it like um he he's got this rope tied to the the closet door and he he doesn't pull it but like he he pantomimes that he's gonna pull it and then he runs down the stairs and he's like doing Let army me. rolls and like jumping down the <laughs> stairs and uh he ends up downstairs uh, and, and outside in the front and he kind of skids on his knees on the <laughs> intentionally uh, on the sidewalk out front like yes i made it um and out there is his neighbor <laughs> who just says Hey, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this neighbor, uh, Harold, is played by George Wendt, who everybody knows as Norm from Cheers. And he doesn't get a whole lot to do in the movie, but he's just kind of a funny guy in general. And I think, you know, with the casting of him and with some of the other elements, particularly some of the creature effects, I think that they knew what they were doing in in going for a little bit of comedy. So I guess I don't know. Maybe you could classify it as a a horror comedy. It's just the comedy is is sprinkled uh, as opposed to um, slapping you in the face all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you said that uh that whole closet thing uh takes place after the the first Vietnam flashback, um which is true. And and these Vietnam flashbacks not a whole lot happens except for that um we meet an important character and that is a guy named Ben, uh Big Ben who was um one of the guys in his platoon in Vietnam. And Ben is played by Richard Mole who uh was most famous for playing Bull uh, in Night Court. Uh, Funny guy, uh, great big, tall guy, um, but his character is established as as kind of this uh, trigger-happy, do-his-own-thing tough guy. And you can tell right from the beginning that there's... You know some tension between Roger and Ben, um, just because Ben is such kind of a loose cannon, uh, and, and that comes into play later. Uh, but those, uh, all of those scenes, those flashbacks, I think they're shot well, and they do a good job of establishing his mindset. And you can see every time that it comes back from one of the flashbacks and we see him sitting in front of his computer, uh, writing, um, that he's usually like sweating and panting. Obviously these experiences had a major impact on him and he probably is suffering from PTSD. And I think that that can explain in part, maybe why he doesn't react more to these things that he's seeing. Um, maybe he's questioning his own sanity. In fact, Harold shows up one night as he's, Preparing to to try the closet again, and he, they eat some Chinese food or something in in the dining room. And uh, Roger is kind of telling the story about how his aunt thought that the house was haunted. And Harold's like, "Yeah, well, she's crazy." And Roger says, "Well, what about me? Do you think I'm Looney Tunes?" <laughs> like <laughs> the way that he acts, the way that he asks it, he totally looks like he is crazy. Um, so from an outsider's perspective, it could uh, very easily. Uh, appear that he is crazy but after Harold leaves Roger is walking by this big grandfather clock and it strikes 12 and that reminds him the clock had just struck 12 the first time the monster had come out, and so he goes and checks it again, and, and sure enough, um, uh, it's there. But things just, you know, uh, strange things just continue to happen. At one point, he's sitting in writing, and this little toy car uh, rolls in, um, and he calls for Jimmy, but uh, he doesn't hear anything. And then he goes back to his desk, which is sitting right in front of that giant swordfish on the wall, and... He thinks that he sees the fish's eye move, but he gets closer and examines it um, and nothing happens. And then he turns his back and we see the fish's eye move. Uh, and he turns back around and all of a sudden the fish comes alive um, and is thrashing and, and fighting and trying to get off the wall. And he's like beating it with stuff. And it, it's, it's pretty comical. It reminded me uh, a lot of the scene from Evil Dead when uh, the uh, deer head and, and all the other stuff in, in the room uh, come alive and are taunting Bruce Campbell. Um, He runs outside to try to get a gun or something to to, uh, shoot the fish with out of the shed. And then all of the tools in the shed animate themselves and start chasing him around. And it's just uh, crazy stuff like this happening. He he gets the uh, tools all locked in a room upstairs and he runs downstairs and all of a sudden there's Sandy. The neighbor, Harold, had called Sandy saying that he was worried about Roger because he'd been acting weird. And now here Sandy appears at the door. And this scene is, I think, the scene that I remember the most from when I was a kid. <laughs> and I'll be interested to see what you think of it. Because like I said, from a 2017 perspective, this does seem a little dated. But I still think it's really fun. What did, what did you think of this scene coming up?
1: Yeah, it was a very interesting scene because it really throws things off considerably as far as uh, the predictability of the movie and what you think is going on. You know, Sandy right. Sandy comes in, and you know that their relationship is a uh, well. Norm has already called her, right, to let her know that uh, something <laughs> is up with Roger, and to let her know that uh, he believes she's he's undergoing some PTSD. And so we've seen this scene of Sandy um, saying, "Okay, I'll, I'll." It seems like maybe she's going to try to come, and so we're not surprised when she shows up. Uh, although she does right. show up right then and there, uh, and you do. You do wonder, at least I did for a split second, if this was really her. Or if this is another one of his visions. Because it's just coming on the tail end of what just happened. Um, But there she is at the door. And he sees her, and she says... Hi. Sandy. I tried to call, but there was no answer. I was worried about you, Roger. What are you doing here? I wanted to see you. What are you doing with that gun? Nothing. I'm- Sandy. Sandy ends up transforming into a giant monster, big, fat, right, gross looking, the basically the anti-Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: and it's funny because it's clearly somebody in a suit like and and these creature effects and like these 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 demons or monsters or whatever they're supposed to be, they don't look real i mean they're they're clearly something in a suit, but they're good suits they look good she's like this fat, blobby, gray, gross. Woman, um, demonic looking. She's got frizzy gray hair, but she. It's funny because she's still in the sexy purple dress uh, that Sandy was wearing before, and so it's just funny to see this this monster uh, <laughs> version of this beautiful woman because the woman who plays Sandy is is very beautiful. <laughs> what did you think? Did you think that the Because you already talked about the first monster, too. I actually thought the first monster was uh, pretty scary. Again, you could tell that it was just something like on a track that they pushed out of the closet. Um, But it looked pretty cool and scary. And then we get to this monster, which is clearly a suit. What did you think of all the effects?
1: I thought a lot of the effects in this movie actually were really good for their time. Um, this monster was probably not one of them. It was just bad in that you take something that's supposed to look supernatural. There's a problem with maybe overly personifying it because it looked good. It looked okay up until the point where it started walking around. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes on the screen and it's rubbery looking, but it's got the big fangs and it's dripping and stuff like that, I'm, I'm behind it, you know? But then um, mm-hmm. when it's like. Ch- like walking after him with the gun <laughs> it it looks like a man in a suit struggling to walk in a huge outfit
0: <laughs> right, so, right so
1: that takes it away a little bit if they had if they had eliminated like the the full body shots of them or had limited those, it would have come across <laughs> a lot better. Um, but you know, my mind was really just occupied with this is the house playing tricks on him, or is this another vision that he's seeing? and then when he shoots it and it turns out that to be sandy. Uh, at least when he goes outside, he sees her body and she's dead. I thought, oh my gosh, this movie is really going to some dark places, right? Uh-huh. Because this is yeah. this is the PTSD thing, you know, as how dangerous and unhinged people can be and unmistak- unmistakably do things. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's actually shot her. The neighbor hears the commotion and he looks out the window and his view from the window, he can't see the whole porch. All he can see is Roger standing there looking down, but not what he's looking down at. We know that he's looking down at right. what looks like the body of Sandy, and so the neighbor calls the police and says, you know, firearms been discharged, and he classifies it as a attempted suicide. So Roger, meanwhile, bends down, picks up Sandy, turns around and walks into the house and finds a place to hide her, which is under the stairs. And very, very shortly, two cops come up straight to the house. I felt like this scene that comes afterwards was one of the more awkward scenes of the movie. I know what they were going for. I know that they were going for some tension here. Um, The cops at first are are quizzing him, and he's acting like he's out in the front cleaning his gun. Uh, But they're saying, well, you know, why would you clean a loaded gun? This whole... It's like... This probably looked really good on paper, but the dialogue, and maybe it's the acting, too. There's all this kind of drama built up as they're going back and forth, and the cops are quizzing him. And it seems like he's going to get out of it. And then one of the other cops says, I, I want to ask you a very important question. He says, oh, yes, sure. He says, can I use your bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, okay, sure, I can come right in. And, and so the cop comes in. As they walk down the hall, he runs to the, you know, the the foot of the stairs, uh, the, the under the stairway hiding place. I call it Harry Potter's bedroom. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> where, where yeah, he stashed definitely. stashed, stashed uh, the the girl, and it's it's slightly ajar. So he runs there and he quickly shuts it as he's talking to the cop and is trying to do it in not so, so suspicious way. And he asks if they need anything, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, I could use some coffee." <laughs> At that time, the neighbor also pops in. And so he finds himself in the kitchen making coffee for these cops, and his hands are shaking and things, and they're talking. But it's just the whole scene is kind of clunky. They're going for this scene that we see in a lot of films, where you know, the, it's a telltale heart kind of situation. You know, you know that right. there's a body around the corner. The, the guy is there, and he's just trying to get the cops away. But it's kind of dumb, the excuses that they use. Like when he was running with the gun inside... And loading it, he had dropped a couple shells on the floor. And as mm-hmm. he's loading the co- uh, loading as he's loading the coffee into the cups for the, the cops, <laughs> <laughs> and he's taking it to them, he sees with his horror a couple shells on the floor under the table. Now. I mean, the guy's a gun owner, and he just had his gun out. The fact that there are a couple shells under the table isn't this smoking gun that something unusual is going on. But it's played like it's this big thing that he's got to try to hide. But then Norm reaches down to pick something up that he dropped, and he sees the two shells, and he holds up the shells. And the cop takes the shells, and the cop says, Why would you be cleaning a loaded gun or something? It's like, well, I didn't know it was loaded. Like like how are these shells evidence that his gun was loaded? Like these could have just been shells that he unloaded from the gun. I mean, all of it's just right. a little clunky and weird. They're going for this tense scene, but I think it's just poorly written.
0: I think you're right. And I thought this scene was clunky too. And there are a couple of scenes like in here that just seemed really kind of I don't know, ridiculous. I mean, not that the whole thing, a haunted house, isn't kind of ridiculous, but this is one of them. And I kind of I really like the premise of this movie and um, I, I like the story. I like the idea of him potentially, ha- potentially having PTSD and and so maybe questioning his own sanity and we are too, but then there's also all these really weird supernatural things going on. I really like the story and, and I like the, the mystery of the missing son and where is he? And are we going to find him? And, and all of that works really well. Um, but it's, It feels to me almost like it's a little bit too long, like this would have worked better as a short film, maybe an entry in an anthology. And maybe the reason uh, behind that is because that was what it was originally intended to be, I believe. Um, The the filmmakers uh, had seen The Twilight Zone, the movie, and had wanted to do an anthology film of their own, um, but they couldn't get it up off the ground. And this was one of the ideas that they had uh, for part of the anthology. And so I think that it may have worked better in shorter format, but there are enough fun scenes that uh, I I still enjoy uh the movie as a whole um but you're right that scene it, it, it just seen it almost seems like filler um nothing really happens um so there it's really not significant to the plot in any way uh, anyway eventually he gets the cops out of the house without incident i mean that's the thing too. there's really no payoff um yeah. all, all that happens is when they leave he realizes that his shotgun is missing so he gets Them out, and then again, he hears something you know bumping around upstairs, and so he goes up to his aunt's room and he walks in and he starts walking towards the closet. But we can see that the Sandy monster is behind him over his shoulder with the gun. And when he opens the closet door and there's nothing in there, she hits him with uh, the back of the gun and knocks him onto the ground. Where's your son, Roger? You'll never find him. He's not dead. some place in this house. Say your prayers. The Sandy Monster puts the barrel of the shotgun right up to his head and pulls the trigger, but because he's already fired it at her, it's no longer loaded. And so he runs out um, of the room, and and she's following him, um, and he leads her to a door, and he opens the door, um, and those tools that he had uh, (laughs) locked in there are just at the ready, and they come shooting out and uh, uh, chop her head off. (laughs) Uh, Which is actually a pretty funny uh, visual. Um, And and then it breaks into a... a, a a musical music montage. montage.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it
1: wouldn't be an 80s movie Which is hilarious. It. it is. It, it's near no good. I mean, <laughs> my eyes were rolling at that point, but uh, whatever. It, the whole thing is kind of ridiculous, quite honestly, and I think it knows it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, he's bagged up the the head, uh, separately from the body, and he's pulled both of them downstairs and he's taken them out to the yard. And as we've seen earlier, this yard is pretty exposed to the neighborhood. I mean, there's... Yeah. <laughs> why he's digging in the middle of the day uh, a a place to bury these bodies in the yard um, is a little unclear what, what you know and and of course this the minute he brings it out one of the neighbors comes through uh well she ends up leaving through the gate but one of the neighbors is playing around in the pool in the back it's a woman we don't know she's a neighbor and at the moment i'm thinking what is going on here why is there a woman in the pool and i thought well this is another trick from the house or something uh-huh. and she comes out and she is Drop-dead gorgeous, uh, walks towards him, almost seductively has this conversation with him, saying, oh, well, you know, your aunt would let me swim around in the pool in the back, so I hope you don't mind that I do this. Do you look like a man who likes to play? Do you like to play? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, coming on to him. But in the meantime, there's a funny bit of business where the body in the bag, the arms reaching out and uh, trying to grab his leg. And he notices this, but of course she is busy looking at him and doesn't. And so while they're talking, he's trying to like step on it and push it back in. And it's reaching for her leg, but he steps on it there and, and basically suggests that she go. And so she leaves and says something about maybe you can play later Walks out the gate and he whacks his body like four or five more times with the shovel. And the next scene we see is that he has bare he obviously chopped it up into a million pieces because there are about 15 holes all over the yard that have been yeah. filled in. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny, but again, it's also so goofy because. Well, it just there's so many questions, right? Like if you know the thing yeah. is still alive, what, You maybe this isn't gonna work. And you, what did you do? Did you chop this body up in full view of the rest of the yard, <laughs> leaving the gate open too, so that maybe the neighbor would come over? It, it, little bits like this, you know, just kind of kind of take me out of it a little bit. But anyway, um, later on, the dog uh, digs up one of the a dog next door or whatever digs up a hand and then there's a bit of funniness too where he's uh chasing the hand around
0: this is another one of those scenes that it's like really <laughs> yes um yes because because uh Tanya the hot neighbor shows up at the door and of course she's all decked out and she looks all beautiful and we can see her like from the chest up um and she said I came over to see if you wanted to play. And he like kind of smiles like, okay. And then she goes, I brought my son Robert. He loves to play. And <laughs> there's this little <laughs> tiny kid with her. And she, she's got him by the hand and she brings him in. And um, Roger sees that the hand, the demon hand, is on this kid's back. So the kid goes running around the house and he goes chasing after him. And uh, he ends up with the kid in the bathroom. Him and he's trying to get this hand off and the hand won't let go. And the kid is crying. Um, finally, he bites the hand and gets it off and flushes it down the toilet, which there's no way that great big hand would have gone down yeah. the toilet. But um, I don't think I ever thought about this when I was a kid. And maybe that's good um, that my mind didn't go there when I was a kid, but, this time around I was watching it thinking this he, he he chases this kid around, and then the next time the mom sees the kid he's coming out of the bathroom with him crying I'm like that's kind of shady <laughs> <laughs> but apparently she doesn't think so because the whole reason that she's come over is because she needs a babysitter so she can go out and so she just hands over the kid to Roger it's like, oh, here's his things and he's kind of like, oh no but but wait I uh, 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 and <laughs> but she just piles all this stuff up and then she leaves like and so like he's he's babysitting the kid in this house like that doesn't make any sense no, at all no
1: first of all he wouldn't let this happen Right. it's, It's again, one of those moments. It's what I was talking about earlier, where it's suddenly after all of this crazy supernatural stuff, he's fine with just hanging out in the house some more. But now he's got the responsibility of some other kid. But it's just like he's babysitting. Right. And the other thing, like no parent would ever just dump their kid on someone they just met. Uh, next door, you know? Nobody it's so stupid. Oh, here you go. I mean, again, it's supposed to be funny, right? That she comes over, yeah. oh, play. Yeah, okay, he could play. And then that she's piling all this stuff on him and giving him all these instructions as she as she runs out the door. But come on. The whole thing is absurd.
0: It is. And and this whole scene, the babysitting scene, again, it feels almost like that cop scene, like they needed filler. Um and it's kind of fun. I mean, uh uh the kid um is, is crying while he's writing so uh, he, he sits down with the kid on the couch uh, to watch TV for a little bit and it's his wife's show is on, on the TV um, and it's just kind of in the background but the dialogue of this show is just terrible. My sister is an only child and you abused her I can never forgive you for that I can't
1: hide the fact that I've been a male prostitute my entire life your sister paid me $2,000 to spend the night with her do <laughs> I think it's time you woke up and smelled coffee. I'll smell whatever I damn well, please, without
0: your help. (laughs) (laughs) They just have this ridiculous dialogue, but it's really funny. And and then so the kid goes to sleep and he just leaves the kid laying there on the couch while he goes back and uh, (laughs) does more writing. Yes. And, and while he's writing, again, we go back to Vietnam, and he and Ben have been assigned to be like the, the point guys uh, on this mission. But um, Ben is leading them out far away from the rest of the platoon, and, and Roger's uh, nervous, and um, Ben is is being um, risky and, and not taking precautions. And eventually, uh, Ben does get shot, and, and that's the last thing we see in that flashback. But when he comes back to... Reality. Um, Robert is gone, and so he goes running around the house looking for Robert. Um, and he runs up to where his aunt's bedroom is, and there are these two demon things that have Robert. Um, and and they're again, it's clearly small people in <laughs> some kind of suit. Um, and and like the masks, I feel like of these ones don't even really move. I mean, no. <laughs> it, it's not the greatest effect. It, it's campy um, and. and Frankly, I really don't mind camp. Uh, you know, this is kind of a time capsule from the '80s, and as yeah. as silly and goofy as it is there's also something kind of charming about it. You know, like these people clearly making do with what they could. I I mean, I have no idea what the budget on this was. It doesn't look very big. Um, And (laughs) and they saved their budget, I think, um, for some other effects that really are are not bad at all. Um, But these costumes are just kind of goofy. And it's just a goofy scene where, he He runs into the room, and these uh these demons have got the kid in the chimney, and they're trying to pull him up the chimney um, and Roger gets in there and grabs his feet and like they're pulling they're pulling so hard that they're pulling Roger up there too, and it's so, like the 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 monsters have the kids. Uh, arms, and the Roger has his feet. And this is probably like a three-year-old kid, maybe. Um, and the whole time I'm thinking, they would just rip this kid apart. <laughs> 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 like, if this were really happening, this kid's arms and legs would just come right off. Right, <laughs> he's hanging but from they the don't. kid at some point, right? <laughs>
1: he's got the full weight yeah. of his body. Like, he would be po- at least popping arms out of sockets. It would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> And every time they show the kid's face, the kid's just like, no, no, no. yeah, like, he's like he doesn't smiling. even seem like he's scared.
1: Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> that confused me, too, because I actually thought because they showed the kid's face so much and because the kid was so obviously unconcerned, this is where I was still thinking, like, wait a minute. Maybe this is all in his head, too. You know, because this can't actually really be happening to this kid. But it turns out, you know, it is, and he saves him from the monsters. And it was at, kind of at this point that I realized, yeah, this movie is not is not smart enough uh, to go the places where I suspected it might be going and making this, this grand statement about PTSD. Because they really, in taking another kid into the house where he lost a kid, right? Right. It just... Leaves open so many dramatic possibilities that they just chuck away for this dumb little scene of of chasing him around and him getting pulled away by rubber demons, you know. Yeah, you know. I thought maybe I thought maybe he would lose this kid too. You know, I I just had all these I, thoughts kind of going around in my mind about what might be going on, or that maybe this kid was gonna, was somehow kind of a personification of his own kid, and there was going to be some episode, you know, that would reveal a little bit more about his own
0: fate. And uh, yeah, none of that ever happened. <laughs> Right. No, nope, no. Nope. He just gets the kid back, uh, gives him a bath and passes him off to his mom. And he that's gives like, him a bath. That's it. Like In the house. <laughs> the house is just taking this kid away. And the next scene we see is
1: of them playing in the bathtub. Like, what the hell, man?
0: <laughs> oh, I know. I'd take the kid out for a Happy Meal or something. Get out of that house. Jeez. But he doesn't. But it's fine. Because the mom comes back and he, and then that's the it that's the end of it. We never see the mom again. We never see the kid again. It's like they were just there so they could have this this scene. It's it's goofy, but but that leads it up to. Um, pretty much, uh, where the climax comes in, uh, or at least begins. Um, the final act, he invites Harold, you keep calling him Norm, by the way, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> He's always um, going to be Norm to me. <laughs> he, he invites Harold over at midnight under the guise of we're going to watch a movie or whatever. But, uh, he says, we're not really going to watch a movie. I need you to come upstairs with me and do something for me. He says,
1: do you remember... <laughs> The other night when I told you I saw something, well, I guess I must have been a little hysterical because it wasn't a ghost, it was a raccoon. Really? A a big raccoon, about the size of a St. Bernard.
0: Cujo the raccoon.
1: I got him trapped right now, they're in the closet.
0: You're not afraid of raccoon, are you? Me? No. No. What would you like me to do? I'll, I'll I'll help. He says at exactly twelve for timing purposes. <laughs> at exactly the stroke of midnight, I'm gonna open the 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 closet, and I need you to shoot the <laughs> I need you to shoot the raccoon right between the eyes with this harpoon gun. <laughs> And he hands him this harpoon gun. And he's like, I have a rope tied to the harpoon so that if it doesn't die, you can hang on to it. It won't get away. Obviously, we know that he thinks the monster is going to come out. And eventually, when he opens the door at the strike of midnight, that great big scary monster that we saw in the beginning comes out. Um, And he's Roger's kind of grappling with it. And Harold is so horrified by what he sees that he's not doing anything like he's frozen. Um, and finally um, Roger yells at him and gets his attention and Harold shoots the thing uh, with the harpoon. But then I think he like drops the harpoon and, and, and the rope uh, from the harpoon gets tangled around his foot and he gets pulled into uh, the closet, which then turns into the jungle of Vietnam. And he's walking around in there, and he finds Ben, who has just been shot. Um, so it, it's kind of like one of his flashbacks, but it's he's happening in like real time. Like the, yeah. the, the, the house is doing this, I guess. Um, and Ben has been shot several times, and he says to Roger finish me off. Um, I'm going to die. Finish me off. And Roger acts like he's going to, like he's going to cut his throat. But he says at the end, he says, I can't, I can't do it. And he can't. He says, I'm going to go get help. And he runs off. And as soon as he's off scene, he turns around and looks back. And all of these um, Vietnamese soldiers are uh, dragging uh, the guy, uh, dragging Ben back into the jungle. And Ben says something like, I'll get you for this. Roger just goes running. And he ends up back in his house coming through the closet and Harold is still there, and harold he is, is like drunk himself,
1: yeah, Harold is still there, and you earlier said that harold doesn 't really have a lot to do in this movie. to me, I feel like Harold is the glue that holds this movie together. His character is so well first of all, the acting is is pretty top notch I mean, and it would have to be to be able to pull this guy off because he 's on the one hand. He's very concerned about Roger. He's also a big fan by the way. I think earlier on in the movie yeah. when he met him, I mean we get the sense over and over again that he is a very famous novelist. Yeah. But he he's super concerned about him. He's doing what he can, but he's also kind of trying to give roger the benefit of the doubt i think i mean he's trying Mm -hmm. to be as much of a friend as he knows he can try to be Uh, coming over to watch the game you know bringing over a six pack of beer calling when he's concerned there might have been a suicide threat popping over when the cops are there too he gives him a kind of a look as he leaves the house during that earlier episode too that i just thought kind of spoke volumes it was like the look of like I feel like maybe you're a little crazy, but I also empathize with you. And in this whole scene, like, it's hilarious the way that Roger preps him up uh, to go in there, but also the way that Harold kind of goes along with it. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a very complex bit of acting that he pulls off beautifully. It's like, he's the good natured friend who's going to do it, but he's also a little weirded out by it. But there's also maybe a little bit of a sense that maybe there's something about it. Before you know it, Harold's kind of geared up to do it. But also kind of because he you feel like he's playing along with Roger and he's doing it in the sense that he wants to help him out. You know, almost like by playing along with it, he's helping him through an episode. And so when the door opens and the monster does come out and Harold just totally flips you know, it's like his attitude completely changes. That this is a real monster, and he's really going after Roger to try to save him. It's so cool and so sweet. In the more, in at the end of it, that there he is by the closet, like he's never going to leave, leave his side. He's drunk through all the beers that he's done, but he hasn't left the room. Now, yeah. Again, that's a little silly because, I mean, if you were him, wouldn't you, like, call the cops? I mean, you'd probably do something more than just sit by the closet and wait. But in that sense, though, like, I love that Harold character. He makes the movie for me.
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting. I I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I see that. And now that you say it, I, I definitely see – I I don't know. I think I'm just thinking of – norm <laughs> that's all, that's all i could think of when i see that guy but you're right i mean he does it you get the sense that he does maybe think that um roger is crazy but he's he he's genuinely concerned it's not just oh the, he's the crazy neighbor like he, he really is looking out for him um and and wants him to be okay he seemed a little shady uh, at one point in the movie because he stole roger's um uh, personal phone book like mm-hmm. contact book uh, yeah. and I didn't know what was going on there but it re- it was really just because he wanted to get um, Sandy's number because he was concerned yeah. Um, so yeah I, I see what you're saying <clears throat> he's, he's a good guy
1: but then again here's another point in this movie where I figured okay well he's going to enlist Harold's help and the two of them are going to go after the house to- together but it's like, no, okay, see you later, Harold. And he says goodbye, and Roger kind of faces the end of it alone.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that I prefer it that way because I think that this really, you know, even though the house really is haunted, it comes down to Roger defeating his own personal demons. Somehow, Roger figures out that these paintings in the house. Maybe hold some kind of clues as to what is going on in the house. And for whatever reason, he goes out back to the shed where we had seen that painting before of the closet door and the clocks, and there was that rag hanging over the upper left-hand corner, and he, he takes the rag off, and he sees that in that top corner is the medicine cabinet, which we've seen him at the medicine cabinet many times throughout the movie nothing bizarre has been going on there um but the kid jimmy um is in the reflection of the mirror in the medicine cabinet like screaming like he's trapped in there so roger goes up to uh the medicine cabinet he opens the door nothing's in there Um, but then he picks up a stool uh and throws it through the mirror and there's just this blackness, just like an abyss out there. Um, And he throws something out to see if he can hear it land and he doesn't hear anything. Eventually he's kind of leaning up through there. He calls out Jimmy's name and then this tentacle grabs him and then these demon arms grab him and he's like um, struggling with them and he gets a straight razor and he, 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 he slashes at the arms and things. And so they go away and he goes and gets some rope and being, having been in the army, um, I guess he knows how to do this kind of stuff. He rigs himself <laughs> up so he, can, so he can lower himself down into this abyss, whatever it is, because he thinks that that's where Jimmy is. And as he's lowering himself down, there's a total evil dead moment where there's like this flying uh, skeleton-type demon yeah. um, that is, is pestering him. And then it, it's it's funny. It reminded me so much of uh, Evil Dead when the demon grabs the gun from him and shoots at him and, <laughs> and doesn't hit him, but hits the rope. So he goes falling, falling down. And he ends up back uh, in Vietnam in the jungle. And he finds Jimmy. Jimmy is in a cage. And Jimmy says, we have to go. He'll be back soon. And so he, he grabs... Jimmy and they run out and they get back out, right? Yeah. It's it, again, this is a point at which you know, you're asking yourself, well,
1: what happened to Ben, his army buddy? And it, again, it feels like he's reliving another flashback. Because he's in Vietnam Of course everything's melding together And I thought, oh well, you know, Ben Probably the reason Ben was, you know, dragged away And maybe Ben didn't end up dying Maybe Ben was kept as a POW And so when you see mm-hmm. uh, the kid in the cage I thought, oh, this is like He's projecting, like, he couldn't save Ben He also couldn't save his son So the two are kind of getting mixed together In this vision of his And so he's found him in this cage in the jungle You know, like, like a POW And he pulls his son out mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if he couldn't save Ben at least he could save his son. What soldiers come out and start shooting at him, or maybe they're demon soldiers or something come out and start shooting at him, he dives into the water with the kid because he had fallen into the water. So he dives out, back into the water with the kid. And when he comes out, he is in the pool in the back of the house. And there is his son with him. And at that point, my jaw just kind of hit the floor a little bit. I thought, oh, okay. So his son really was trapped in the house this whole time that's mm-hmm. what the movie is where the movie is going. And again, like I said, I mean, it's fine. It's a nice little thing, but I lost a little bit of respect <laughs> you know for the themes and the thematic build up that we were getting with. Oh, it's just a supernatural story about how this kid was taken by the house and this guy got it back. But then what does he do? He takes the freaking kid back into the house.
0: <laughs>
1: He's in the backyard, right? He doesn't – he right. can bypass the
0: house, but he takes him back Run, in. run away and never look back, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's goofy. But um, I see what you're saying about you, know, you kind of wanted this payoff. I kind of feel like we do get a, a kind of payoff because when they get back in the house, um, they are confronted by Ben, who is now – kind of like evil, dead, zombie, uh, demon um, awesome. Ben. Yeah, he looks great. Um, good good makeup. Uh, the only, I mean, if you watch closely when he talks, you can clearly see the actor's mouth moving underneath the mask, but big deal, who cares? The kid is just standing there like holding his hand and he's like, just get out of the house. And the kid just takes off. And like, that's kind of the last we see of him. <laughs> he sends him and it on ends, his own, And yeah. it ends up, <laughs> yeah, on his own. Um, and so it ends up being this showdown between, between um ben and roger and it's it's as though um ben wants his revenge for roger not finishing him off and instead leaving him as a pow or to be tortured or or whatever uh, may have happened to him and it's basically just kind of a a slow chase through the house roger ends up on the roof at some point but then he ends up back in the house um and and uh zombie ben is is chasing him around And he opens these big – Roger opens these big double doors, um, and they open out onto this giant cliff, um, which we had never seen before and and is clearly supernatural because they don't live (laughs) by the sea. (laughs) 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 But but, um, he he falls out, but he's able to catch himself, so he's just hanging by his fingers. And Ben comes um, and is stepping on his fingers and saying, you lose. Um, But Roger takes off his belt and makes a loop of it and kind of lassos uh, Ben's hand and uh, pulls him. And it's Ben that goes falling down. Um, Roger pulls himself back up. And we kind of think that this is the end of things. But then he turns a corner. Or, or I think he hears Jimmy, and uh, he goes looking for him, and he turns a corner, and there's Ben again. And, and he's holding Jimmy up in the air with a knife to his throat. A few years ago, you had a chance to kill me. Now I'm going to kill your little boy unless you kill yourself. No! <sighs> Daddy! It's finally over, Roger. You've got no chance. He's making all of these threats. And again, this is one of those kind of things... <laughs> Uh, like with Nightmare on Elm Street 1 where Nancy just kind of comes to this realization out of nowhere Um, don't really know what made her think this or what made Roger think this but he just says to Ben I'm not afraid of you anymore you can't hurt me anymore. And even though it kind of comes out of the blue, I appreciate it because it's like, he has been, he's clearly been haunted by this. You know, he, he felt guilty for leaving this guy behind. Um, and that has really, you know, stuck with him and has haunted him. And it's kind of like, he's, he's putting it to bed. You know, I, I, I'm over it. I am not going to be afraid of you anymore. You can't hurt me or my son. And uh, so he kind of just takes Jimmy from him and pulls a grenade off of Ben's belt and shoves it up into his body cavity and, uh, and, and shuts the door behind him. And Ben explodes. And the house is, is on fire. The whole second house, uh, ha- story of the house is on fire. And, of course, the wife, um, Sandy, pulls up in a cab. And um, Harold, the neighbor, comes out and they're looking at this house burning and then um Roger and Jimmy come out the front door uh Roger's holding Jimmy and Jimmy sees his mom and he says mom and he gets down and runs to the mom and they have their reunion and it just kind of ends on a shot a frozen shot of Roger standing in front of the house just kind of smiling and you know it's not the most exciting um <laughs> uh, ending but Yeah. And it's not the most exciting. And, you know, it it leaves some questions unanswered, like, is he going to be okay now? Are they going to be a family again? Whatever. Um, But I I do kind of like the idea that he is now free of these demons that had been haunting him. And hopefully now that he he can move forward and and regain the success that he clearly had in the beginning. What did you think overall? Did you enjoy the movie? I enjoyed it.
1: I really did. I enjoyed watching it. It's certainly not a bad film at all. Uh, it's not a great film, like you said, and it's it's again, like I said, it's a little disappointing. It actually reminded me tonally, uh, in a sense, of Poltergeist. In that, you know, normally with a haunted house story, there's a ghost there with an agenda, and uh, it's mm-hmm. all about finding out that agenda and appeasing the ghost in order to um, exercise it. But this movie was more like this house just for for reasons we never know uh has some kind of spirit uh, about it that is going to i guess terrorize the people who are living there um in the best way that it can but it's not just doing it you know supernaturally but it's actually taking like in this case it actually took a kid and in a way it's a little bit like poltergeist in that it, it, that this house you know is just imbued with these qualities and has that ability to do that and to get under its inhabitant's skin and then actually do physical things like take children away right into like supernatural right. realm yeah. kind of thing that they dive in and out of mm-hmm. um so in that regard I, I i yeah i kind of enjoyed it in, the, in that way it's pretty goofy but then again, um, yeah. Fred Decker was involved in this movie. He came up with the story. Uh, it's It's got his stamp all over it, even though he wasn't the screenwriter yeah. or anything. But, you know, it, it very much feels like Monster Squad in a way. It feels like Night of the Creeps uh, tonally as far yes. as the humor mixed in there, some of the awkwardness <laughs> mixed in there. It even seems like the budget, you know, and the effects are very similar right. uh, across the films. It, it almost feels like the same movie made by the same – similar movie made by the same filmmaker even though it's not and it was also produced by Sean Cunningham of uh, the Friday the, 13th Friday the 13th about the time he was really getting a lot of success with those movies and it almost feels like this was his attempt to kind of do a, a, a slight crossover movie I don't think that was really his goal but that's kind of what it feels like is a little bit of a crossover movie the fact that we get who, some people in here who are some fairly big name actors at the time Uh, shows me that there were enough people interested in this movie that they were willing to give it a go. And I feel like, in looking back on it, looking back on some of these scenes and the effects and just how it all plays out on screen, that I'll bet this movie looked so much better on paper as a script. It probably looked a little deeper. It probably looked a little bit more like it had something to say. But in actuality, maybe just the filmmakers were not up to the task for whatever reason, of of elevating right. it, you know. Uh, you know, you read enough scripts and of, of good movies, and you read scripts that you're like, geez. Uh, I, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is one, you know, to go off on a little bit of a tangent. I, I read the script for Butch Cassidy <laughs> and the Sundance Kid, and uh, that movie was fantastic. It's a fantastic movie. But if you read the script, you would never imagine a great movie could be made from this, you know. It's mm. all completely the tone and the way it's shot the way it's directed the way it's acted all the subtleties that are required to make that movie great this i feel like maybe the script was really good or at least read really good but it just couldn't quite get pulled off I, i just feel like there's a really good movie buried under here somewhere but it kind of falls short of it does that make sense
0: it does. Yeah, it does. It's not a great movie, but I still really like it for whatever reason. And it may just be because I remember it from when I was a kid, and, and that always helps. But um, I think another reason that I like it is just because it's it's fun, it's light, you know, you don't have to think too much and it's firmly entrenched in the 80s and i'm just so nostalgic for the 80s it was just such a simpler time (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was simpler because Uh, we were kids and we didn't have to worry about anything (laughs) right right exactly Um, and like you said it does have fred decker all over it if you were a parent whose younger kid was interested in horror or liked horror, I think that this is light enough that a kid who likes horror would not be traumatized by this movie. I remember l- watching it and liking it when I was a kid. Um, and so maybe that's uh, part of what I like about it too. Yep. Um, there was, you mentioned uh, there was a sequel. I freaking love that sequel. It, it is, is so great. goofy. It is great. It's way goofier than this one, but I love it. Um, and then uh, there's a three and four too, but I'm pretty sure that three and four were just independent movies that they slapped the house name on for name recognition. I don't think um, that any of the original people, uh were involved uh, the the same guy who wrote house this one wrote house 2 and the stories are very similar mm-hmm. um, but but it goes it goes bigger and and there it's even more fun um, so uh, if you're a fan of house and haven't seen house 2 I highly recommend it
1: well, and I think that pulls up something that maybe bothers me so much about this movie, and that is, you know, House 2 really goes for the comedy, and I feel like... Now, it's been a while since I've seen it, and I think we're going to have to do it, but as I, I remember, love it. <laughs> it really works. Yeah, and it's just good, and it's funny, and I remember renting that with my dad, and we both just really liked it. But this movie, maybe it's because it doesn't go full-out goofy. It's dealing with a very serious subject, PTSD, here, and... Mm -hmm. To be fair, to be completely honest, it's treating it kind of lightly, Mm -hmm. at least lighter than a filmmaker would now, you know, tackle that subject. The fact that it pops in and out when it's convenient to the plot, his PTSD, otherwise he's a normal person, uh, and the fact that we're, we're not terribly, there's not a concern laid out for us in the film that this... This guy suffering from PTSD who's running around with guns and thinks that the house is haunted is a danger to himself and to others uh, Mm -hmm. and is coming unhinged. That thread should exist in this movie, and it really doesn't. There's a concerned neighbor, so they're going in that direction, but again, they fall short of really treating the subject with the seriousness that it would just naturally warrant. That may be where this movie is a little off for me, totally. And, you know, it really does reflect, too, our feelings about PTSD when it first kind of came on the scene in the 80s. It was first posited that if you have PTSD, the best way to work through it is to try to go back through and relive those circumstances so you can somehow i guess come to terms with it better or realize that mm-hmm. even though it happened in the past you you you're not experiencing it now and so you could kind of make that distinction i don't know but it's since turned out that that is absolutely the worst thing you can do right <laughs> for right for a person who's suffered any kind of trauma is to make them try to live through it and remember what happened they're best trying their best to forget what happened and that is the best for your health this movie seems to be making this this kind of overarching statement that the way that he's able to deal with his trauma is by working through it. So in that way too it's a, it's a little outdated as well.
0: Yeah, I agree and and it's 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 clearly dated in many other ways too. But hey, for we
1: neglected to mention and we can't leave this without <laughs> mentioning it, the V-neck sweater with no shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that he wears through a good deal (sighs) of this movie. (laughs) I don't even remember that big fashion at the time. Do you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it sure was sexy. Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, uh, you can find lots of our back episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. We're on Facebook. We love to hear from you on Facebook. We love to hear uh, movies that you would like for us to talk about. So leave us a comment, join the conversation. Uh, Until next time, I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw.